High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, Gus Van Zant stands, skateboarders, residents of Portland, Oregon. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast for me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I... Would like to see the results. Your first bit of homework, as always, is to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the old Stitcher. And of course, while you're there, if the app allows you to, why don't you leave us a nice, pleasant review? And, you know, the easier thing you can do, if you haven't done it already, give us one of those five-star ratings All that helps forward the mission of High School Slumber Party. And my mission is to be doing this for the next 50, 60, 70, 80 years of my life. Just watching high school films. The big ones and the obscure ones. (laughs) I tease. Not really. (sighs) Also, tell a friend about all the great things that happen here in High School Slumber Party. Another way you can help the show out. That's for sure. And of course, class participation is a huge part of your grade. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Message me, comment, let's chat. I love chatting teen films, hence why I have almost 200 episodes. More on that later. (laughs) Your homework podcast-wise, of course, was to listen to last Friday's episode and last Monday's episode. Friday is more related to today's. That was Elephant by Gus Van Sant. We are on a Gus Van Sant tear. People keep saying, oh, you're saying Van Zant. No, not like Stephen Van Zant. Gus Van Sant. It sounds very familiar. Great director, fun director. I had not seen today's film, Paranoid Park. So that was your homework as well, to watch Paranoid Park. And of course, watch Elephant. Ugh, what a tragic, tragic movie. This one, also tragic. Less tragic because it's not really based on real events. But it'll still have your heart fluttering a bit and not in the good romantic way. Trust me. But between the two Van Sant films, it was our second ever episode of the Black Teen Experience with my co-host, Kirkland Shepard. We talked a dandy, we talked a great high school film, an iconic party film. This is High School Slumber Party, after all. We talked House Party, of course, Kid and Play, The Hair, Martin Lawrence, hilarious movie, Great movie, fun movie, the dancing, the hip-hop. Uh, check out that episode. Well, hopefully you already did and you did your homework. And also, watch the movie if you didn't do that for whatever reason. A classic. Absolute classic. Once again, that's the Black Teen Experience. Our little kind of quasi-spin-off show, one of them at least, on this feed. My co-host, Kirkland Shepard. We have a blast. Can't recommend it enough. 
Of course, one thing I did forget, you could check out all these episodes, all archived episodes on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, the home of so many other great pop culture podcasts, including what is the flagship these days, since Cage Club proper isn't exactly terribly active, but Too Fast, Too Forever. Yeah, the show about the Fast and Furious movies. That trailer dropped. The internet was going crazy. So much weird stuff there. Check out their Twitter feed, by the way. There's some hidden Easter eggs that I've posted on their Twitter feed. I'll leave it at that. But regardless, I was on their last Pit Stop episode. We talked gung-ho with Michael Keaton. One of my favorite like junk food watch movies. Something I'll just have on in the background. It's silly. It's early Michael Keaton, but I love me some Michael Keaton. So definitely, definitely check that film out and listen to their episodes on Too Fast, Too Forever, wherever you get your podcasts. Joe Lewandowski, Joe Two. I talk about them a lot. They're on the show a lot. Joe Two's on our Twilight lap, for God's sakes. That's why I keep calling them laps, by the way, because they started it. <laughs> oh, man. Whoa, 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 the bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Got a lot more on my mind. Just want to vent. Just want to shout out. Well, not really. Just more of stuff on my mind. When I edit and when I have things on in the background, when I'm watching my beloved New York Mets on silent, I get to thinking, you know, I get to pondering. And one thing I was thinking about this week was, you know, the pandemic, hopefully it's ending, I hope. You know, there's spikes in certain states, so I don't want to say that. Shout out to our healthcare heroes, as always. But we see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm almost double vaccinated, which is great. Just meaning my second dose. I'm almost at my second dose. But a lot of my friends are already completely vaccinated. We're thinking of summer plans. We're still going to be safe. But, you know, we've been in our holes for a while, and we finally want to reach out and touch something. (laughs) Or touch someone. What was the old phrase? I think it's reach out and touch someone. I should know. They say it in Bill and Ted. But I was thinking, right, like, at the beginning of this pandemic, I was like, oh, man, I'm kind of not really working. I'm kind of not doing much. I don't have a social life. I'm going to get so much done creatively. I'm going to go back to my writing. I'm going to do all this stuff. And, yeah, High School Slumber Party had a banner year. We released more episodes than ever. But that's different, right? I thought I was going to have more of a creative mind. This is creativity, yes, but it's more talking about other people's creativity, let's be honest. (laughs) However, however, as we again approach the hopeful sunset of this pandemic, I'm like, what did I accomplish artistic-wise? And it wasn't that much, to be honest with you. But then I look around to my artist friends and I look around to the world, if you will, And I don't see that much either. The same, the same rate, I guess, everyone did. And I was trying to figure out why. You know, Shakespeare, right? He wrote all his sonnets during whatever pandemic he was living through, some plague, right? And I was like, you know, I'm going to be that Shakespeare. But it didn't happen. And watching these movies, specifically these Gus Van Sant movies, but all these teen films kind of made me realize why. For me, and I know a lot of people I know as well, What inspires us isn't staying at home. What inspires us isn't talking on the internet or reading people's tweets on Twitter. What inspires us is real human interaction. And we couldn't do that for a year. Which, again, I understand. I'm all about safety. But we couldn't do that for a year. And now we're finally getting to do that again. The ideas are coming back. The time is going away. 
but the ideas are coming back, the juices are flowing. So I don't know if that creative boon is going to be so much the work that was done during pandemic. I think it's going to be inspired by this period that we're about to enter. What's going to happen now? What's going to happen next? I think this is where the creativity is going to spark. Now that we're going to just jump out of our shells and we're talking to people, we're going to the beach, we're going to restaurants, we're hanging out with our friends in the near future, that's where we're going to get the ideas. Will we have the discipline to put them on paper? I'm not sure, but hopefully some filmmakers out there will. So just want to say that I am looking forward to this next chapter in creativity. Woo! Thanks for listening to my bullshit. I appreciate it. <laughs> Let's get on with it. Let's talk Paranoid Park. Oh my god, I don't even think I announced who the guest was. The guest, of course, today is Austin Wolf Southern. He is excellent. He is great. He was on our Bratz episode, which was one of my favorite episodes of all time. He's not afraid to share his opinion. He's a really, really funny guy. I can't wait to have him on again. And I'm so happy he was able to talk this film with me, Paranoid Park. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sitting at Brian's because we're about to get our party on. And anyone who knows me personally knows I will not pass up a chance to play an Elliott Smith song and depress the entire room. There's an Elliott Smith song on this soundtrack, of course, Gus Van Sant, Angelus. Class dismissed. Austin, happy to have you back. Not sure if you remember how to introduce yourself on High School Slumber Party. Do you need help doing it, or do you remember? Uh, I know it's my name. <laughs> well, that's, that's always important. Name, <laughs> high school. High school and the mascot? Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, or whatever, really. At this point, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Uh, Austin Wolf Southern. Balboa Secondary School in San Diego, and our mascot was the uh, wombat. I think that's I think, what it was. I think yeah. That's what said. I think I said it the same way the other time we've <laughs> done the show too. Probably, probably. <laughs> I couldn't forgot until it was asked of me. <laughs> yeah. Well, people on this show know you as the the one who brought us the glorious thing that was brats. So thank you for that. And the brief and resolved feud you had with Joey Lewandowski about yes. it. So <laughs> that was great. Austin, it's it's a pleasure to have you back. Hope you've been well. And thank you for coming on for this film, Paranoid Park, because I'm doing this little Gus Van Zant little lap around his movies. A friend of mine wanted to come on to do Elephant. He had to cancel or postpone for a couple weeks 
And then another friend of mine wanted to do To Die For, and I was like, oh, wait, that's a Gus Van Sant movie, too. Let me just do all his five teen films, mm-hmm. watch them all in a row, because I wasn't too familiar with them, to be honest with you. And this one came up, Paranoid Park. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea who to ask to do this movie. <laughs> the godfather of the podcast network, the aforementioned Joey Lewandowski. I was like, hey, do you know anyone who knows this movie? And he's like, let me check my letterbox. And he's like, oh. Austin gave this four stars on Letterboxd. I'm like, great, I love Austin. And when I <laughs> when I contacted you, I think you said something along the lines of, I have no memory of this movie, but sure, I'll be on your show. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I won't say no to any movie, really. Like, if you need a guest for a movie you haven't heard of, then I, I probably at least know it, and, you know, I'll talk about it. But, yeah, it was interesting to watch this again, and I truly remembered none of it. Wow. <laughs> I mean, well, uh, vaguely, like, what it looked like. Well, thank you again for, for hopping on. So yeah. So, uh, which Van Sant movies have you done so far? So we've done, let's see, we started with To Die For, which is Nicole Kidman and, mm-hmm. and uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Then we did Finding Forrester. And then oh, we did... Oh, right. That's not college? No, it's high school, actually. So oh, okay. Goodwill Hunting is college. They got confused often. Yeah, And then uh, we did Elephant, and now we're here at Paranoid Park, and I'm just continuing the Gus Van Zant thing. What's your history with Gus Van Zant, by the way? Oh, um, not sure what I saw first. I probably saw To Die For, like, when it came out, but wasn't really, like, aware of the director, you know? And then I saw My Own Private Idaho when I was in high school, and I thought it was the worst movie I'd ever seen. <laughs> like, I just, I hated it so much. And then I, like, a couple of years later, I was, like, I was friends with someone. Yeah, there's I was friends with this girl, Vanessa, and she loved the movie. And I thought she was cool. So I was, like, ugh, I guess I'll watch this fucking movie again because <laughs> Vanessa likes it. And and so I watched it again, and I thought it was it was fine. <laughs> still still don't love it so i haven't seen it still probably in like 20 years yeah i mean i think i would definitely like it more now just with an appreciation of keanu and its style i don't know but something about it really rubbed me the wrong way and then i like got over it but that was probably the first time i was aware of like i'm watching a film by this guy and then i like knew who he was from that point on and i saw other movies of his and i was like oh these aren't as bad as my own private <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, a, not a bad movie, I guess. <laughs> Gus Van Zandt doesn't seem to have a lot of, like, Gus Van Zandt stands that I've met. You know what I mean? He's such a diverse catalog. that That's why... He when is I... kind of inconsistent and, yeah, like, all over the place. He's made movies in the last few years that I just have no interest in. <laughs> and that's weird. Because <laughs> he's... He's made such good stuff, too. I don't know. And that's what's kind of, like, fun about this journey. And that's what kind of even surprised me that he made this many, like, teen-adjacent films. Because I just didn't know that they were his movies, you know? I knew Goodwill Hunting. I knew Milk. Mm-hmm. I knew Elephant. But really, that was... It. Okay, I knew My Own Private Idaho and Drugstore Cowboy. But I really did not relate them as being all from the same director. And then, of course, he did that remake of Psycho. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> he's had a really interesting career. So I'm really enjoying, again, this this journey. If you had no idea pretty much that you'd even seen this movie, Paranoid Park, like, 
Mm-hmm. I, I usually ask, what's your history with the film we watch? But a, a forgotten history, I suppose? Well, I mean, I, I remember where I saw it. You know, like I remember <laughs> when I saw it, I just didn't remember. And I remember, you know, really and really liking it. I think I saw it because, probably because it was Gus Van Sant and it looked pretty good. So I was working for Landmark Theaters at the time. So I probably saw the trailer like a bunch of times just in front of like, you know, indie films or like Landmark is kind of in between like indie and mainstream. Mm-hmm. So I probably just saw the trailer a lot and it was coming out and, you know, I, I watched, this was like, came out in early 2008 in the U.S. I just watched like everything back then because I could, because I could for free. And yeah, this played at the Bridge Theater in San Francisco and I watched it there and apparently I was very taken by it. <laughs> <laughs> watching it today, I, I was watching it through that lens that you had kind of forgotten about it. And it made sense, not because it's a bad movie. I think it's a good movie, but it's such um, an intimate story, right? Yeah. I was thinking of like, how are we going to talk about this movie, really? There's not a there's not a lot that happens. Yeah, exactly. So I could totally, totally see or even feel exactly what you were feeling, right? Like, wow, that was a really good movie. But then you kind of forget it because not a lot happens. Mm-hmm. If you guys are not familiar with paranoid park out there which i'm pretty sure you're not familiar with it because when we've talked about this in previous weeks there are big gus van sant movies and there are little gus van sant movies this is very much a little gus van sant movie indie film he's not trying to win oscars with this or probably make a lot of money i'm sure he'd always like to make a lot of money but you know what i mean Mm. this is more um, indie run gus van sant so every week i read the back of the dvd and here goes An unsolved murder at Portland's infamous Paranoid Park brings detectives to a local high school, propelling a young skater into a moral dilemma where he must deal with the consequences of his own actions. As the director of My Own Private Idaho, Goodwill Hunting, To Die For, and Elephant, Gus Van Sant has created some of the most memorable films about youth ever committed to film. I'm not sure I like that sentence, but whatever. New York Press says the film boasts the coolest pop score since Pulp Fiction, and the film was shot by the acclaimed cinematographer Christopher Doyle. Paranoid Park also features a cast of hot newcomers, including Gavin Nevins and Gossip Girls, Taylor Momsen. Um, <laughs> it's funny because 90% of that was not about the movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it kind of makes sense for uh, what we're about to do here. Some production notes before we kind of talk about scenes and stuff. Had to dig deep on these. <laughs> this is based on a YA novel, which we know a lot of teen films are based on, of the oh, same... I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Well, I didn't even know about the film, but I didn't even think that while watching it, you know? It, <laughs> yeah. it, it didn't feel like very YA to me. <laughs> the author's name is Blake Nelson, and Van Zant actually got funding for another project and then sort of stumbled on this book. He's from Portland, and he's, he fancies himself an amateur skateboarder. He loved the book, and he convinced the people who were financing the other film to finance this one instead because he really wanted it to be his next project. He decided himself to adapt the screenplay, and the screenplay is only 33 pages long, which is crazy. <laughs> I mean, this is a short yeah. movie, but, you know, when you break down dialogue and what's happening and just, like, the mechanics of a screenplay, 
it kind of makes sense that it's that short, right? A lot of the, it's an hour, 20 something minutes long. A lot of the scenes are just shots, you know, a lot of the dialogues improvised and such. So I would say, you know, 33 Mm -hmm. pages, kind of a rough draft and he's in charge. So it's like, let's just shoot this, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, it would take a director who had made a few films already to like take a script like that and be like, I can flesh this out or we'll, we'll figure it out along the way. And I think they did. I agree with you. You have to have the confidence in yourself and the power in the film that, you know, a studio is not going to be like, no, we can't shoot this or anything like that. Whoever funded this movie legit, just put the money in because it's Gus Van Sant and they trusted him. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I noticed while watching this, I thought I actually had like a bootleg or something, or I was like, wait, I'm renting this on Amazon. I I don't understand why it looks like this. I don't think they made full screen movies like that, but this was shot in the uh, one. What I don't know how you. I'm not a film guy. Oh, one three three. Yeah, one three three, which is the aspect ratio. That I guess it, it's like you know almost like your TV full screen. It was the aspect mm. ratio used in the early days of silent films, and for for much of film history, not very common these days. Uh, when you saw it at Landmark, was it in this? Uh, format or was it in like a widescreen format uh that i don't remember i would assume it was in its intended ratio of 133 or one one three seven or they're the same but that's interesting because i i didn't remember that obviously i didn't remember much about the movie but i watched it on movie and it was widescreen i didn't even know i got fucking ripped off (laughs) watched it in the wrong aspect ratio. Now I now I'm mad. <laughs> oh, okay, because yeah, I mean, I, I was gonna. Sorry about that, because I was gonna say like that really changed the movie for me. I think it's actually it was super cool that it it, it was in this aspect ratio. I love the four three aspect ratio. I think it's really underrated, and I mean, even one eight five, I think is like is underrated, which is traditional widescreen that would like fill your TV. Mm-hmm. And I think scope is just like overused. Like, people love the, like, you know, the wide angle or whatever. Sometimes it's appropriate, but I feel like it's just used way too often. So I get excited when I see something that uses 133. Even uh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League is in 133, and I was thrilled. (laughs) And I was like, all right, I can get through four hours of this because I like this (laughs) aspect ratio. (laughs) That's a a good call. I I, like, it just didn't click with me, but you're so right. It is. It's in IMAX, technically, which is, like, different but when you're watching it on a fucking tv in your living room it's 133 funny enough gus van zandt had actually been shooting some things for hbo in that ratio and he was like i really like this i want to keep doing stuff like this and it works so well for this film so austin a little homework whenever you get around to this, it. yeah i was gonna say whenever <laughs> you get around to it again rewatch it because not that i was a big skateboarder or anything like that but i remember you know tangentially being friends with the skaters and watching a lot of skate tapes, which were more in this format, right? So when mm. you see when you see a lot of the skating stuff, it fits right in with everything else that's going in the movie, and just like kind of brought me back to that era. So I thought that aspect was super cool. Um, the skate scenes are shot in Super Eight, which is awesome. Oh, well, some of them. Mm. The rest was shot in thirty three millimeter, and it is a super pretty movie. Um, we mentioned the cinematographer. The lead cinematographer was Christopher Doyle. Yeah. We actually. Did Psycho with, very talented 
cinematographer. There was also another cinematographer credited named Rain Kathy Lee. I wasn't sure. Um, I would guess maybe that they did the eight millimeter stuff. That would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense. That would be my guess. But yeah, and especially like eight millimeter only shoots in mm-hmm. Academy ratio. So that would make sense. But yeah, I, it felt like they did uh, their skate video research with the cameras used and how it looked and yeah, all of that. Which I really, really dug. And then the, the whole Portland aspect, Gus Van Zandt's hometown, he was excited to kind of go back there and, and shoot it. The Paranoid Park is actually based on a real skate park called Burnside Park, which was also built illegally like that. The other big note production-wise on this film, I think is the really obvious one to those watching, is that he really, really, really wanted almost not, you know 100% complete amateurs to be in the film, especially mm-hmm. for the high school kids. And they really, really seemed like real high schoolers. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think about that? What do you think about his casting in the film? I love the acting in this movie. It's awkward and sort of like it's it kind of rides a a line of like is it bad or are are teenagers bad at talking you know like it I think there's an authenticity to the awkwardness and the way they talk kind of like not exactly stilted but like I I know people have said that the acting is bad in this movie and I don't think it's that simple I think like teenagers are just awkward and he was able to take advantage of that and use it. And I love it. I think it comes off really well and really effective. Yeah. I mean, Austin, you know, I watch the, a lot of these movies and this is one of the only ones that had this style. I get where people say the acting is bad, but that's not like you said, that's like oversimplifying it. You're right. It brought out, certain things about teenagers that we don't see in Hollywood films, really, which is just the awkwardness. Not just, like, the dialogue-wise, but their sense of space in a room. Some of these people never feel comfortable, but they're never truly comfortable as actors. And it felt like a teenager just not being comfortable in their own body, in their own situation. So I thought it was such a cool way to show teenagers. And a lot of, like, even in um, Finding Forrester, he tried to cast mostly amateur teens in the roles but there was still a very very much a hollywood quality to that sean connery's in it so (laughs) obviously (laughs) this was so removed from that world that again i was all in on it so he like wanted to be as amateur as possible he put an ad on myspace you know dating ourselves a little bit Uh for casting calls and he said he just wanted teen skaters from portland he put uh just paper ads in skate shops and places around town. He just like literally walked around town looking for people to try to get, again, like just these raw, raw teen actors. Gabe Nevins, who we mentioned in the little DVD blurb, he's our lead here. He plays Alex. He'd never acted before. Someone at his skateboard store told him about this casting call, and he was in it, you know, just to make a couple bucks. He wanted to be an extra. Gus Van Sant loved him and made him the lead. The one thing I'll say, mm. just because I tried to do a deep dive on this guy, because I was super, super curious, and it reminded me of the deep dive I did when I covered kids and other movies where they used amateurs. He ended up having a pretty rough life after this. He ended up being oh, homeless. Yeah. Things didn't really work out for him. Apparently, he's doing better now, but he's completely off the grid. 
I've noticed that though when they cast amateurs, like they pull them out of nowhere, they give them this little taste of fame, and then it's hard for them to deal with it afterwards. Even though some of the people on Days and Confused that Linklater like plucked out of nowhere ended mm-hmm. up some of them look became huge stars as we know. <laughs> you know? Well yeah. <laughs> but there are some people there who just, you know, never were able to I don't know. I don't know. It's just a weird thing that I've noticed. I'm going to do some more research on it before I make yeah. a, de- a definitive statement. I know in terms of kids that that is true. It also, I mean, with that movie, it just kind of seemed like the movie didn't necessarily alter the path that they were already on. That's fair. That's a fair statement. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know how true that is of this kid, but I would imagine, I mean, what I got from his performance was that he seemed like dead inside. <laughs> um, so I don't know how much of that was acting or if he was just this disaffected kind of emotionless sociopath teenager. I mean, he, he feels guilt in the movie, but I, I think he, for the most part, like doesn't feel much. I mean, that's a really, really good call too. It could be one of those like chicken and egg situations, you know? Yeah. Like kids, did the movie really alter his path? Who knows? And again, Gabe yeah. Nevins, if this is, if this is completely untrue about you and the internet lies and you're listening right now, let us know on social media because I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah, come on the show. <laughs> <That'd be great. laughs> that would be great. Official invitation, Gabe. <laughs> if you're a brilliant actor, then, you know, kudos. He's like, I have an AMC show. Fuck you or something like that. I'm like, sorry, Jesus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the biggest, not name or like, but the person with the most... Um, acting credits to their name at the time was uh, also mentioned on the DVD blurb is Taylor Momsen, um, who played Cindy Lou Who as a child. And the uh, I, I forgot who directed that, but the Jim Carrey, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, okay. And she was a character on Gossip Girl. She was actually, you know, in the teen news a lot on Gossip Girl because she, she was getting in trouble a lot there. Mm-hmm. She now fronts a, I guess it's like a punk band called The Pretty Reckless. She's retired from acting, but at the time, you know, Gossip Girl was a pretty big show, and she, and she played his girlfriend, Jennifer, the cheerleader. Okay. So she was actually, like, established at that point. Yes, and from what I glean okay. is that, like, since she was that cheerleader character, Gus Van Zandt did want, like, one character to look like an iconic teen from, not iconic, but you know what I mean, a classic-looking teen from film rather than li- real life. As opposed to the other girl he ends up talking with a lot, Macy, who looks realer than real, you know? And Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I mean, those are my favorite scenes, like, acting-wise, when, with him and Macy talking. They really stand out, don't they? And I, Yeah. I like her. I like the Macy character. And mm-hmm. I'm so drawn into her performance because it just, again... I watch these movies a lot. I don't see a lot of real teens, and that's fine. I, I love the movies. I'm not like criticizing those either, but she just felt so freaking real to me, and I don't know. I love mm-hmm. it. Did anyone else in the cast, or character-wise even, like, stand out to you? Uh, I mean, his friend was kind of funny and goofy. I forget the character name. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> his main friend. He had some, like, goofy charisma. But was also still, like, a very real, like, teen. Yeah, for sure. And then other than that, yeah, not really. I mean, the movie's very focused on the lead boy. Yeah. So yeah. much so that a lot of the adults, a lot of the parents are out of focus. Right. We only see them. At, uh, we see the dad eventually. Um, a lot of the adults were played by uh, 
skateboarders from the Portland area, even the ones who weren't skateboarders. Like his dad was played by a skateboarder from the Portland area, and he comes into focus, you know, literally, and (laughs) towards the end of the film as well. Yeah. But yeah, and his mom is never really shown clearly. No, we never see his mom. It's it's crazy. The adult we kind of see the most is that detective, uh, Detective Lou. Do you know anything about him? Because he, I know he hasn't done any other acting. So I was wondering about him if he was like a real detective or something. Because he, you know, he had a very like amateur realness to him as well. I thought the same thing. I couldn't find any evidence of it. But the character's name is the same as his name in real life. Oh yeah, that too. That also, it's like, is this just him? I think it's spelled a little, like, yeah, it just says Lou with an I rather than Lou I think uh, so. I, so thought, I thought that was the same, but his first name was different. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's, he's Daniel Liu, but he's Richard Liu <laughs> yeah. in the movie. But it is, <laughs> it, it's similar enough where I really did feel like that was either a real cop or someone who had really dealt with those situations. Um, again, there's not a lot of background on this film. Yeah. And I, I couldn't find anything related to him. But... I, I think you're on the same page as me. It wouldn't shock me if that was just like a real cop and they asked him to kind of just yeah. be in these situations. So, I mean, let's get into it. Let's talk about the film. I mean, and we could pretty much start anywhere. This is a non-linear movie. It's kind of going mm-hmm. back and forth a little bit. Alex, it seems like he's writing this letter the entire time. Yeah, which I thought was kind of like I knew it would pay off, but. Yeah, he's sort of narrating the film in like this diary. And, you know, for a minute, I was like, I don't think this kid would keep a diary. But I knew right. it would explain itself. And it it does. You know, it's actually a letter that he's writing to Macy that he then, you know, is, is never going to show to anyone. Yeah. What struck me so much about that was I was with you. I'm like, this, this doesn't seem like a diary kind of kid. And um, one of the first things he says is like, I wasn't very good at creative writing. So I'm like, oh, he doesn't seem like he wants to be a writer or anything like that. Yeah. That also was reinforced to me by the narration. Usually in these movies, they get like the uh, the dub of the narration. Like, even if it's an amateur actor, they get it pretty succinct, you know? Yeah. I think of like Telly and, and kids. Yeah. Even though he's kind of an amateur, he never sounds like he's stuttering or, or reading, I guess is the best way to put it. Alex sounds like he's reading, and I thought that was so sure. cool. Because it's like, this isn't a narrator. This is legit just a guy reading his letter. Mm-hmm. One take, perhaps. Who knows? But like, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I did appreciate that. I just had never really seen a movie do that. Because I think you can only get that out of an amateur, right? Like, if it's a pro actor, it's not going to be something that's going to come natural to them to just screw up they're gonna have to purposely screw up you know yeah and it it really fits like what it ends up being that he i mean he reads it the way he writes it like just kind of uh mechanical and just like he has he's supposed to do it and i love when she tells him the idea of like just write it in a letter and he's like sounds like homework you know and i think it is it's like a homework assignment him he really doesn't want to do it (laughs) but he just like (laughs) wants to get it off his chest somehow and yeah it really uh the reveal like pays off of why he's doing that and it it works really well for sure i i just think again 
the payoff ends up being so good. At the beginning, my first time watching, I'm pretty confused and I'm not sure like what the hell I'm watching. Not not in like a surrealist sense, but just I don't know why I should be invested here. But I wasn't thinking that once I was along for the ride, I guess. Um, since you didn't remember anything on this ride, uh, on this ride, on this watch, did, like, did you even remember that he was the one who did this murder? Uh, maybe. I mean, I definitely like knew he was responsible, but I don't know if that's just an assumption or I saw a synopsis that said that or if mm. it was my actual memory. I don't know. I feel like that is apparent in the film that he is responsible in some way. Yeah. It's unclear what happened, but it you know that he did something. Because it's not as bad. Because I was like, oh, I guess... Because I did kind of assume, like, oh, he, like, hit the security guard with a skateboard, and it's it's really not that simple. So it's actually... He's less culpable than, than I expected. I found that so fascinating. Um, I mean, just to set the scene a little bit, he goes to that paranoid park with one of his friends, and that's kind of the more... Um, adults skateboard there it's not really so much for kids and you know the the people who skateboard there live there they're mm-hmm. you know they're not um you know weekend dad skateboarders either they're just kind of skateboard vagabonds you know mm-hmm. and he just goes off with one of them which i kind of found i found a little bit weird like hey you want to get some beer and he says it in such an innocent way like oh i thought it'd be cool f- to ride the train cuz it's like mm-hmm. a, f- a freight train you know we see a guard chased them and he kind of, uh, the guard hits him with a pipe and he kind of like kicks the guard off and another train cuts him in half and you see the, the body in half. I was like, whoa, I didn't expect that in this kind of film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was surprised I didn't remember that. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is why I liked the, the movie. <laughs> a cool surprise. And again, you, you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. but you're so right. When you're watching that sequence, it's not like he went out, did some drugs, and committed, like, all-out murder or anything. I'm sure if he let someone know right away, he wouldn't have gotten that much trouble. Probably the older dude would have gotten in more trouble than him. Right. Obviously, you know, you're a kid. You're going to make mistakes like that. Uh, well, not hopefully not like that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Uh, maybe you're not always doing the right thing. Um, I found it so interesting that that adult character, I forgot his name, was like Scratch or something, something like that. Yeah, his name is Scratch, and then the other two kids he meets are named Paisley and Jolt. Yes, yes, I wrote that down, <laughs> Paisley and Jolt. Yeah, I loved those character names. Yeah, and Scratch just, like, runs away from the scene, even leaving him, you know? Mm-hmm. And it yeah, makes the but- movie so much more complicated, the fact of, like, what exactly happened. You know, the movie ends up being just about this kid just being paranoid the uh, the entire time that he's going to be caught but also like you said that would be simplifying it too much the way the character plays it like he's like so dead inside it's just i don't know i don't know yeah i think he's i think he's pretty freaked out after it happens and then it's more worried about being caught than like feeling bad that this person died i mean it also like it's his fault but it's sort of self-defense and also like for the timing to line up just right that the, <laughs> the security guard would like topple over and fall under onto an oncoming train, which is also something that like, I mean, maybe it's just, maybe it's unrealistic or whatever, but like that's something that would be factored into like 
would they sure. believe me? Would anyone believe me that I didn't like knock him into this thing intentionally? Like looking at it and like in adult eyes and obviously like the 2020 hindsight, it's not like he tied him to the train, you know, while it was on, you know, coming on. Exactly. So there's this ambiguity t- to the situation. I-, I had another question for you that it just reminds me of. Since we're hearing the point of view of the story from him and the letter, do we are we to believe what we're seeing? Or is this one of those unreliable narrator situations? Uh, I don't feel like there are any clues that it's not what we're seeing. Like, I don't think there's anything in the movie that would suggest we shouldn't take it at face value. Yeah, I, I agree you know? with that. I was just curious your opinion because, you know, generally sometimes in these stories, it's like, should we believe that? It felt so real to me that I never questioned that until the end when I was just like writing my notes and stuff. Yeah. And again, like this kid too, like he's not creative enough to even make <laughs> up an alternate version. And that's something that's, again, so great about the movie. Did you find yourself rooting for him? Um, No. Like, it's weird, because I just found myself watching. I'm enjoying, right? But yeah. it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I hope he gets away with it. Or even like, oh, I really hope he gets caught. He deserves it. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. It put me in a weird place that I kind of liked. Yeah, I wasn't rooting against him, but <laughs> I didn't really care. I wasn't invested in his future that much, but I didn't like dislike him either. And kind of the stuff with, with the girlfriend, too... I was like, oh, it's interesting to see where he's coming from, but he's still, like, ultimately, like, being a shithead. Yeah. (laughs) But it's like, oh, we've seen enough not to, like, hate him for this. But, yeah, or, like, I don't know. Not that it's excusable, but just, like, (laughs) oh, he's dumb. Like, (laughs) Like how you can't be like too mad at him because he's just like really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) You're absolutely right. There's like a realness to this that I'm trying not to sound condescending to teenagers, but like (laughs) there there are teenagers like this, you know, there are people like this, not just teenagers, but we they're rarely the heroes of our films. Right. And this is, this is our lead and he's just a kid and he's not, you know, it's not about doing necessarily the right thing. Or even doing, like, a sinister thing. There's almost no plan, you know? Mm -hmm. He's afraid of getting caught. You're so right. He's not necessarily like, oh, my God, I killed a guy. He has a family. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. someone out there misses him. He makes a lot of selfish teenage decisions. Even to go to Paranoid Park originally um, is kind of just a selfish teenage decision. Girlfriend wants to hang out with him, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to skateboard this weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as simple as that yeah well he just like doesn't want to hang out with her <laughs> yes yes <laughs> which again i loved seeing it and not from the investment standpoint but i loved seeing because that just felt so so real not that i necessarily related to it even as a teenager mm-hmm. jennifer you know she's into him but she wants him to be this boyfriend that she probably thinks a boyfriend should be like because she's a teenager and he doesn't want to be that. Then we see the conversation with Macy. I love that scene after he's killed the guy and he goes home and his mom's like, where have you been? And he's making up these the worst lies you could <laughs> yeah, ever think so of. Bad. 
which are great though. That's great. She's such a teacher. The mom knows something's up. She can't imagine murder, but she's probably like, Ugh, you know, they've talked about like the parents the, that the parents are getting divorced. So I'm sure things are hard for her as well. Mm-hmm. So they're not really connecting. And then he ends up just going to the mall. He's like, I need to see a snowboard because we didn't go to the winter sports expo. <laughs> she's just like, sure. And when he's at the mall reading the newspaper for sports, even though there are no sports in there, when he has that conversation with Macy and her friend, I don't know what it is. I loved that conversation. It just seemed like, you know, what teenagers would say and do, the awkwardness, the weirdness, the the just like trying to make conversation for conversation's sake. Mm-hmm. This is such a micro movie, so it's, it's hard for me to really quantify what I was feeling in that brief moment that on paper probably means nothing out of context. Right. I don't know. I said it already, and I know you already indicated you liked her, too. What did you enjoy about, like, these Macy scenes? Uh, it's hard to say. I guess it was just kind of a, a realness or an authenticity, and I don't I don't know. I mean, I guess she was, like, pretty normal, but I, I just, like, maybe I just liked her because she wasn't, like, a typical person you see on screen. Mm-hmm. Just something about the way they interacted... She's kind of the only person it seems like he maybe likes at all. Uh huh. <laughs> so maybe that's part of it. But yeah, there's just I don't know. There's something engaging about it. I just wrote down so so many um, pieces of dialogue that to me were so just they felt like things that real people would say, especially teenagers. His fear is like having sex with her, and then she's really gonna you know care for him, and then they they're in a relationship or whatever. <laughs> they do have a sex scene and it is like a blah teenage sex scene, you know, like in real life, you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. Pro- probably. And then just her conversations after that and the way you could tell he feels about it, you know, she's like, did you get the condoms yet? Oh, my friend gets our condoms at Rite Aid. We need to go to Rite Aid. Hey, babe. Hey. Did you get the condoms yet? Nope. Do you want to get them after school? Maybe. What's the matter? Are you mad? No. Well, you sure do act weird sometimes, because you'd think after what we did, you'd be a little more happy to see me. It was your idea. What? What is that supposed to mean? Nothing. So having sex was my idea. You didn't want to. You just went along. No, I'm just saying. You were the one that wanted to get the condoms, so I thought we'd get them together. Oh. Okay, sorry. I thought you were talking about something else. No, it's all good. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. His friend at one point is like, oh, you broke up with her? I know you didn't like her, but getting laid is better than not getting laid, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, a, there's a really brief scene where his younger brother is talking Napoleon Dynamite to him. Yeah, that's my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> I loved that scene. <laughs> that just felt so real. How many times, probably even on podcasts, maybe even this podcast, has someone just talked a movie to you like that, but especially a kid. And I just love the way he was describing it too. Yeah, he's not talking about the movie. He's <laughs> replaying the movie. <laughs> you remember, you remember Tina, the llama? I think so. Tina, you fat lard, come get some dinner. And then, um, remember, he's at school, the chapstick part? He's like, mm. with the nurse, he's like, he's like, can I use the phone? 
Why? Because I don't feel good. And he uses the phone. He And it's his brother, a kid. He's kind of a wuss. He's like, he's like, he's like, um, is grandma there? He's like, no, Napoleon. Can I? Well, where is she? At the dunes. Since when does grandma go to the dunes? I don't know. She's with her boyfriend. She's like, what? And he's like, can you at least bring me my chapstick? He's like, no, Napoleon. He's like, God. And then he says, well, just, just borrow some from the nurse. She has like 50 sticks in her drawer. And he's like, ew, I'm not going to use nurse chapstick, you sicko. And then he hangs up. He's just out. He's just like <laughs> performing the film. <laughs> And it just lingers on them for a little bit and him just like, oh, and then the uncle says, and then, the, you know, the, yeah. the grandma's out of the dunes and she says, what? You know, like, I'm not going to yeah. do it here, but. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, it just it was funny and real. And <sighs> yeah, it's it's really great. And for the I mean, I don't know how much you want to touch on this, but as, as far as his like disinterest in his girlfriend and just like knowing a little about Van Sant, like, I think that. I think you're supposed to wonder if he doesn't like girls. Okay. So that is something I definitely like thought of. And then I was like, shame on you, Brian. You're just assuming because it's Van Sant and you know, you know, the director. No, I, I but... think it's, I think it's intentional that you're okay. supposed to wonder or even like, you know, you're allowed to like, just assume that is the case, but he could also just be like kind of asexual or just like not, interested or he just doesn't like her because it's it's unclear if he maybe does like macy in that way or if he just enjoys her company i do think it's there and it's there on purpose that you're supposed to think about it you know i was kind of wondering why scratch just took him alone and they went out to and you know he had his friends there like you want to come i was like no no no. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i got some elements there that Maybe we, you know, it was unseen or something. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know, but maybe there was something there too. Yeah. And that was their original intention. Because it seems weird to go get beer and take a freight train, you know? (laughs) Right. And then, yes, totally with the disinterest there. We don't know, but I'm I'm glad you thought it too. And it wasn't just me kind of just putting more of this movie on this movie than what was there. You know what I mean? Uh I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, no, I, I think that's for sure intentional. Is there anything else you wanted to specifically talk about or something that really stuck out to you? Again, it's one of these weird movies that I feel like we're not deep diving and not because we didn't like it. You know what I mean? It's just, Mm -hmm. you had to be there kind of hipster moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a different kind of movie. Yeah, it's sort of relaxing, but also, you know, with dark content. Oh, I wrote this down. Um... The soundtrack's great. I, I'm a big Elliot Smith fan. That's why I like I originally, you know, connected with Gus Van Sant too, um, as a high schooler actually. But the score here is kind of interesting at times. I, I wrote down like there were some things that sounded like Woody Allen or, oh, Cur- or Kirby yeah. enthusiasm. What'd you think of that? Um Well, I liked it. I mean it reminded me of I think Julian Donkey Boy like uses similar music. And especially over, like, you know, a different film stock Mm -hmm. and, like, switching things up. And, you know, there are parts of this movie that felt kind of like the Dog Me 95 movement. Do you know about that? No, tell me. It doesn't. Educate me. 
I don't know. Well, I don't know if I'm the best person because I, I, when I say Dog Me 95, I really only mean Julian Doggy Boy because that's the one that I've watched <laughs> and liked more than once. But it was this like movement of filmmakers with uh, Lars von Trier and Thomas Vinterberg, who people are talking about now because he made the drinking movie. And then Harmony Cream got involved. And it, they just laid down these like arbitrary rules for filmmaking to make things like feel genuine. And this was like late 90s into the early 2000s. Oh, I have read about this. Yeah. And it was like they're only allowed to use natural lighting. They're not... I guess it's not they have to use amateur actors. I can't remember the other rules, but it was just these like rules that they set that made movies seem more natural. We covered another round here and we didn't talk about it on that movie, but we I did it I remember just like Wikipedia rabbit holing to this. Right. Here are the rules. Now that you bring it up. <laughs> Shooting must be done on location. Props and sets must not be brought in. Alright. That makes sense. The sound must never be produced apart from the images or vice versa. Oh. Music must not be used unless it occurs where the scene is being shot. Interesting. The camera. Maybe it does. Maybe it just doesn't happen in Julian Donkey Boy. <laughs> I, think, I think he cheated. I think he does have some soundtrack that's similar <laughs> to this. And not really. Maybe this is just the strictest sense. But yeah. a lot of these rules also apply to this film. So you're right on the money. Um, the camera must be handheld. Uh, the film must be in color. Special lighting is not acceptable. Optical work and filters are forbidden. The film must not contain superficial action. Murders, weapons must not occur. Okay, that break definitely we break the rules with that here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Temporal and geographic alienation are forbidden. Oh, that's to say the film takes place in the here and now. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. Genre movies are not acceptable. Whatever. Um, <laughs> okay. Ah. But the film format must be Academy. We did see that here. Oh, interesting. And the director must not be credited. Interesting. So these are very, very, very strict rules. But you can see that like, maybe Van Zant is not in this school, but he does definitely have a lot of elements of this school. So, And that's what probably gives it the feel. Well, again, you don't have to follow these elements to have a realistic feel, but a lot of them that he has in common with this school are what gives this film such a realistic feel. So thanks for bringing that up. After we get off this chat, I'm definitely going to do a deep dive of those films. I'm very yeah. curious. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big Harmony Korine stan. Uh, I said stan accidentally, but it's appropriate. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> uh, it was Freudian. <laughs> I was just going to say fan. I've never said stan out loud. Um, <laughs> I think Van Sant probably, you know, was as well because I I could feel some Julian Donkey Boy in here and kids, for too, sure. A bit. I mean, you know, there's a lot of Larry Clark in general, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I looked up the soundtrack, and a lot of the music is from Fellini movies. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Good call. That and that would make sense with um. Again, I know I'm not supporting Woody Allen, FYI, people out there, but uh, <laughs> but I, I wrote Woody Allen music down because he also right. takes a lot of his soundtrack from Fellini movies. So makes sense. Yeah, I think maybe he is the same composer. Interesting. At times, I'm not sure about that, but yeah, that it does make sense. Oh, the one other thing I guess I wanted to uh, talk about is something you know we already kind of mentioned, but the whole time he's writing this letter. And we find out, as you said, it's to Macy, and it's 
It's something that a lot of people suggest in trying times. She doesn't know exactly why he's in the predicament he's in, you know? Mm-hmm. But she suggests in that scene where, you know, where she's on the bike, write a letter, share all your feelings there, spill your guts, essentially, and write it to someone, you know, you like, like me, and you don't even have to show me. You can do whatever you want with the letter. I have the answer. For what? Like when you were saying, if something happened to you and you couldn't tell anyone. It doesn't matter, just forget it. See, what I would do is, I'd write a letter. To who? The person you did it to, like an apology writer, or maybe to someone else, like a separate person. But the point is to get it down and off your chest, and then you can stop stressing. And what am I supposed to do with the letter after? Doesn't matter, like save it, send it, burn it, you know? The writing it down is the important thing. So, yeah, I mean, once you get it out there, you'll feel way better. It's a big relief. I don't know, Macy. It sounds like a homework assignment or something. <sighs> Trust me, it's not a homework assignment. You know, it just feels good to have it all out. Yeah, maybe. But the trick is, write to someone you can really talk to, like someone you're comfortable with, not your parents or your teachers or whatever. Write it to a friend. Yeah. Write it to me. And again, I remember, you know, when a friend of mine passed away when I was young, that's what someone suggested I do. And it was a cathartic process. And, um, you know, he ends up burning the letter. His is a little bit different, obviously. Mm-hmm. Do you like where they leave us in the end with just the letter burnt? And obviously we see some skating shots, but there's ambiguity in the, to the ending, whether he gets caught or not. I mean, I guess what's your overall feeling on it? I think he probably doesn't get caught and just... It goes on, but I, yeah, I like a little ambiguity. I don't mind it. I don't think this movie would work with it ending with him getting arrested. No, no right? Like, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty dumb. So, yeah, it's the right way to end it. I have to assume as well, though, that he doesn't get caught because when the detective is in the room and he's just like, just want to be clear, none of you are suspects. We know that he did it, so we're a little paranoid as well. But if you just walked into that room and not known that any of the kids did it, you just think it's this square detective and he's just tr- literally trying to do what he's saying. Like, oh, trying to be a little hip to the skaters, see if they caught anything, <laughs> you know? He's kind of going out on a limb for, with this investigation a little bit. He has no idea, not no idea what he's doing, but it's very possible he, he's just trying to even investigate something else. Maybe he's has an inkling that Scratch might have done it. Who knows, you know? Mm-hmm. But I really don't think if he, he truly believed that that kid was involved, he's going to put him in a room with his peers and just talk like that, you know? I wonder, because he he also meets with him alone. And because of the format of this movie, or that, it, or that it's nonlinear, we don't really know which happened first. So That's a really good done, call. He may have done that group meeting and then either saw something in that kid or, or learned some new evidence or just was interviewing every, well, I don't know. Cause he makes a point of saying in the, the narration that only he was called to the office. So I think that does happen afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I, I didn't see it that way, but I think you're totally right. So that is interesting. Again, love the ambiguity anyway. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter in the end, but I don't know. 
I was just curious about that. Yeah. All right, Austin, if there's nothing else on Paranoid Park, we got to get to our awards. These are going to be interesting. Not a lot to pull <laughs> from here. And again, not right. in a negative way, but this year I've added a couple new questions. Um, The first question I'm asking this year is, who do you think, Austin, this movie was made for? Bratz is a great example. We know Bratz was made for tweens. We can enjoy it, but it was made for tweens, you know? Um, there are movies mm. that are made for teens. There are movies that are made for adults. There are movies that were made... We can get deeper than that. Like, you know, it was made for, I don't know, ninjas in the 18th century. I doubt that would be the case, but it could be whatever you want is my point. So who do you think Paranoid Park was made for? Uh, I think it was made for the, the landmark theaters crowd. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people in they're like mostly 30s, but a little younger, too, who are who like art films <laughs> yeah yeah which which is fine i mean that's that's who i w- was to some extent and still am but yeah i mean it's mostly for people who who don't who want to uh love brats as much as i do <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's you know it's basically for independent film lovers i agree i agree okay most likely to succeed and this question is basically who won the movie at the end of the day, who comes out most on top in this film? Uh, I mean, it sounds like we should go with Macy. I, I like that. Good call. I can't. It can't be Alex. You know what I mean? Like, even though he's he's let go of what what's uh you know presumably on his shoulders. We don't know his fate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Macy seems like you know she went from this person who maybe had a crush on this kid, and their relationships progressing along, and she seems like a good person. So. Again, she's in love with the killer, perhaps, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, we'll say Macy. I don't think she's going to let him ruin her life. <laughs> you know? I like that optimism and attitude. I'm with it. Let, let's say that. So, Macy, you're our most likely to succeed. Yeah, I think they're going to be friends, but she, she doesn't take him... I don't think she takes him seriously enough to, like really be brought down by him go down with the ship no (laughs) yeah a wooderson award so this is for a character who you would have liked to seen a little bit more of so this is the alex story but was there anyone here who i guess you would like the lens to focus a little bit more on as well uh i just want to see the little brother doing the rest of napoleon dynamite (laughs) i'd watch that i'd watch him just talk out napoleon dynamite (laughs) yeah the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> Long Duck Tong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Is there any like storyline or thing you would delete? Honestly, off the bat, this is such a micro story that it's it's hard to be like, oh, there was that funny, goofy character who took up too much seat and time. Um, but was there anyone you found that way who should be taken from the film in your mind? No, I mean, if I had to choose someone, like it's... He has like uh, his dad and an uncle, like his dad's staying at the uncle's house. I guess you don't need both of them. <laughs> like that could be one character. Yeah, I thought that was kind of but, weird, right? Like, But it, it takes up so little space and time that it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know for sure, no. Yeah. 
And I guess it makes sense, like, in a divorce that maybe the dad doesn't have his own place yet. So he's staying with his brother. I just I just did find it weird. Like, we knew the uncle's name. You know what I mean? Like, it was not just like, he's staying with his brother. It's like, he's got a beach house. And, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it didn't take away from the movie. You're right. It, it's just such a small part of the movie. So I agree with you there. Yeah. That's, like, if we have to pick something. But there's, yeah, I don't think there's extraneous characters. This next award, I know we're probably not going to give out. It just is so opposite of everything that uh, Gus Van Zandt wanted to do with this film. But that's the Cameron Fry Award. Famously, um, Alan Ruck was 30 when Ferris Bueller came out, when he played mm-hmm. Cameron Fry. You know, this I feel like this is an award that applies more to, like, 80s films. But Paranoid Park, did anyone look like they didn't belong in high school or were too old to be a high schooler? No. No, exactly, right? <laughs> like, the, yeah, opposite here, you know? Every yeah. other film gets the Cameron Fry Award. Yeah. So... Rotten Tomatoes, 77% by the critics, 65% by the audience. The aforementioned Letterbox, 3.4 out of 5. We know your original score there, but, you know, we do things differently on High School Slumber Party Austin. I I have the report card in my hand. I'm sliding it over to you. I'm handing you that red pen, and we're going to grade Paranoid Park on an A plus to F scale. So, Austin... What will you grade Paranoid Park on this watch? I would say, like, I really like it, but it it's not, like, a mind-blowing movie or, you know, it's not an exciting film. Because I like to be loose with my A's, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give it a B plus. B plus was my grade as well, actually, and it was just for those same reasons. Like, is this an A movie? No, but not for anything that I can think of that because like there was no, I wasn't deducting points or anything. Exactly. Big part of my grading system is, Oh, I just saw this movie. There are 10 people I could recommend this movie to, or I have so much I want to say about it. And I really don't. And there's really not that many people I would necessarily, there are a couple, right? There are a couple who exactly what you said, the landmark theater crowd, the people who will really (laughs) enjoy movies like this. But I don't think my mom would enjoy this movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Um, maybe she would. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, if, if you liked Elephant. True. Yeah, yeah. You, people you who like Elephant. Like this one. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely a companion piece uh, for Elephant, by the way. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's a... Let me see what exactly it says. There are four Gus Van Sant movies that are supposed to be companion pieces of each other. Yeah, it's Jerry and uh, yes. Last Days. Yes, Jerry Last Days, Elephant, and Paranoid Park. So, and this was the last one, right? Because I yeah. think I think he made a trilogy, and then this is like the fourth part of the trilogy. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's correct. In a weird way, yes. <laughs> I'm just giving it the B plus because I really enjoyed this movie. Like, I would definitely. I don't know if I'm going to run to watch it again. You should because you should see it in the proper aspect. I know. Ratio. <laughs> I know. I will. <laughs> but. It's something that, you know, I'm happy seeing it. And like I said, I totally get why you gave it the four on Letterboxd and then remembered nothing about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might happen to me in a couple of years. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it made sense. So every week I ask my guest, what does your paranoid park sleeping bag look like if you have to design it yourself? Um, okay. Well, this is easy. So, you know those shirts that have, like, like the woman's body in a bikini? <laughs> Yes. So I want a sleeping bag that looks like that, but it's the security guard's body oh, torn God. in half. <laughs> That's great. Oh, my God. 
How about like again, just in that scene where he just, he's just he's still alive even though he's severed in half, and he's kind of yeah. just like ooh, heavy. That, yeah, is a, so, that is a fucked up sleeping bag, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, so torn in half, and and then I guess maybe like I don't know some sort of sign that his arm is like still moving or trying to <laughs> stay alive because <laughs> it's neck down. But yeah, something that shows he's he's alive for a second, even though he's torn in two. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I think I'm going to go in the opposite direction, but I, I want to do a sleeping bag that's in the Napoleon dynamite font, which, you know, if you just like the signature, but it's going to be everything that uh, the brother says written in that font happening in Napoleon (laughs) dynamite. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) All right. This is my favorite question, Austin, every week. And you always have good answers. You always have really in-depth answers for this one. I don't know. I'm not going to hold you to that standard because this movie certainly elicits a different visceral response than Bratz. But uh, you and I are in the magical, magical blockbuster that has every single film that has ever existed in the history of cinema up until this second right now. We, we know we're renting Paranoid Park for our slumber party. We get to the front, we get to the counter, and there's a sign. And the sign reads, rent two movies, get one free. And I say, Austin, I'm going to keep our place in line. Go to the back. Get two other movies. It's going to be a three-movie slumber party. What are those two other movies today? You know, I have trouble uh, keeping myself to one answer. (laughs) (laughs) So the first one, I guess, yeah. I mean, I have to rewrite the situation a little bit as far as, like, you being in line. So the first scenario, I think (laughs) you're going to go into the video store and you'll be thinking Paranoid Park because someone recommended it to you a couple of years ago. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I want to see that movie, Paranoid Park. So you go into the video store and you're like, what's it called? <laughs> I, I can't remember exactly what it's called. And you look around and you find Punishment Park. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah, here it is. And you like read the back and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't. Didn't Brian say there were skateboards in it or something? <laughs> but this is like a weird pseudo documentary from 1971. Oh, geez. What is this? What is this? <laughs> um, so you're like, I don't know. I guess this is the right movie. And then you keep, but you keep looking because you're not sure. And then you pick up Ken Park and you're like, oh, here it is. It's called, it's called Ken Park. This is a movie about a skater. <laughs> And then you're like, I don't know if this was it either. Yeah, I don't know. So then finally you get Paranoid Park. You're like, oh, this is the one. I love it. I'm going to get these other movies too. (laughs) That's amazing. So yeah, that's the like mistaken, can't remember the title thing. And also the most like feel bad triple feature. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this this is not a fun night. (laughs) No. Well, it probably would be, but... (laughs) Paranoid Park is like the the light movie. <laughs> For sure. So you sticking with one this week, Austin? Or, or... no, no, I got more. Oh, so... that's your trademark. You have to. You have to. Yeah. So that's that's just the like, yeah, the title, the title one. But I think it kind of, you know, those will go together decently. Um, yeah, so. I do think this movie has a lot in common with Larry Clark films um they made kids and bully and has made a bunch of like skater films and this is like 
you know, like a Larry Clark film that doesn't uh, make you feel like you're going to be arrested for watching it. <laughs> um, so like Ken Park is him, but I would say the most appropriate one would be What's Up Rockers. Cool. Which is about a group of Mexican boys who are skaters and they're, they live in South Central and they like go to Beverly Hills and there's some like violence, like they get involved in a violent situation and it's, yeah, sort of similar. And so that stars like one guy in particular, but his, his band, they're all in it. And their band has a song on the soundtrack of Paranoid Park. Oh, cool. Yeah. So there's that connection too. And then with that, I think I wrote down a bunch of movies, but I'm going to go with A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh, cool. Um, have you seen it? I have not. I've wanted to. So it's, uh, it's a, a woman who's a vampire and she skateboards. So again, like someone who skateboards who does something violent. That's awesome. And just a cool movie. And then uh, you don't have to rent Thrashin', but I just want to mention Thrashin'. <laughs> uh, and then the third one, just to highlight a couple of lesser known skater films, uh, Twisted Issues and Shredder Orpheus. I've heard of neither of those, so t- <laughs> tell me about them. Okay, so Twisted Issues is by this guy Charles Pinion, and this was his first feature. It's from 88. It's shot on video, and it's like a splatter horror film, but it's also very funny, and it's really just like demented and and fun, and it's about uh, a skater kid who gets killed, and then he's brought back to life, and he like takes revenge. Once he comes back to life, he like screws the skateboard to his foot, and then he's just like limping with the skateboard on, and then he like kills all the people who were responsible for his death. And it's uh, just a weird, demented movie, but it's really fun. Interesting. So, Shredder Orpheus is apparently a very faithful telling of Orpheus, but I don't. I'm not familiar with the original. <laughs> um, <laughs> is also like it's a post-apocalyptic thing it's from 1990 <laughs> similar to like prayer of the roller boys which is you know kind of the same thing but with uh roller blades <laughs> it's this guy named orpheus and his wife is killed and there's like hell is like a tv network <laughs> that broadcasts <laughs> to like these people squatting in a um what's it called in like a train yard (laughs) oh my god um and so he has to like skateboard to hell and like get his wife back from this like tv station (laughs) oh it's it's hard to describe but there's there are skateboards in it (laughs) not necessarily like a perfect match for paranoid park but just to highlight two obscure films (laughs) that i like a lot perfect love it love it yeah and do you have an answer? No, I mean I I forget you always ask me. No, uh, I don't yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> ah, do I do just the easy answer and do the Van Zant thing? Maybe. Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll do that. I'll do that because that's the kick I'm on right now. So it's going to be a four movie thing. We'll do that quadrilogy whatever that he says cuz I haven't seen um one of those films. I forgot which one. So I'll let you know. Yeah. Obviously, they belong together, too. And, oh, and one thing I, I noticed is that as far as like him being like a dumb teen, I think actually ties back to To Die For. 
And that oh. was something I thought about after watching it is that was something I liked about To Die For is like Joaquin Phoenix and uh, I can't remember the, the actress's name, Allison something, but they're also like these kind of dumb stoners. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. Like just, you know, looking back at To Die For, he seems to really like these kind of teens you know, mm-hmm. Finding Forest was different. That's like a gifted teen, but like, yeah, the, you could really draw that line to to die for. You're you're totally right that the I know different eras, not the eras, but I guess different years. Mm-hmm. But these kids would well, hang out eras. with each other. Yeah, these kids would hang out with each other. You know, from both those films, they would be in the same clique. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good call on that one. You know, as I think about it, kids. As we mentioned before, we have to pair something. Mm-hmm. We have to pair kids and this and something else. I'm maybe over the edge. Over the edge. There's no skating, but as far as like disaffected youth. Yeah, let's do it. Kids. That's, that's a group project one. Okay. <laughs> well, Austin, it's always a pleasure when you give all these recommendations. <laughs> the the slumbers really love them. I, I always get a lot of messages like, oh, that film? So. Oh, cool. <laughs> I think they liked, uh, I think it was what, it was Bratz, Cats, and Bats, maybe? Bats, yeah. (laughs) A lot of good ones, a lot of good ones there. Yeah, uh, I've only met one other person who who told me about Shredder Orpheus. He's the only person I've ever met who had seen it, and he, it was like his favorite movie, so if (laughs) anyone who is a fan of Shredder Orpheus will be very excited to hear me mention it. I'm sure that's a hashtag that hasn't been used a lot, but you know, the, whoever's following it on Instagram is going to get very, very excited. Um, <laughs> thanks again, Austin, for breaking this one down with me. I know it wasn't the easiest to talk about uh, just because the nature of it, but yeah. I mean, I'm really, really happy watching it. And once again, highly recommend you watch it in the intended aspect ratio. Yeah, y- you've you've done something kind of a. Kind of bad for yourself, I think, though. You've pretty much volunteered yourself for a lot more films on High School Slumber Party by saying you're pretty much up to watch anything. So, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm available. As the years go on, as, you know, the I keep pulling from this weird pool, I'm going to need guys like you. It's a genre that I just, I always like. You know, like there are, you know, Joey has like a Tom Hanks podcast or whatever. There are a lot of Tom Hanks movies I do not need to see. but when i think like high school like i just i can't think i mean unless it's something i've seen recently and was like so so on but definitely anything i haven't seen like i would see i've never come up with like a high school movie that i'm unwilling to see like i i like the genre well i'm gonna play the card austin i'm just letting you know Uh, good where can people follow you find you if you want them to and anything else you want to plug and talk about uh i I don't know. I'm, I'm starting a podcast where I just group three movies that go well together <laughs> talking for <laughs> hours on end. Um, no, I, I don't have anything, but you can follow me on Twitter at Wolf Southern. So just my name as one word and I, it's the same on Instagram. Well, thanks so much once again, Austin. And we'll oh, and Letterboxd, uh, number one Bratz fan. Of course, of course. That's where you're famous <laughs> yeah. on this show from. So thanks again, Austin. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Austin is a legend, not just for his great film commentary and his opinion and all that, but also 
those rental picks are always classics. I look forward to them so much, and I look forward to the next time he's here with me on High School Slumber Party. That was a fun one. Well, Paranoid Park, I wouldn't call it a fun movie, but it was a fun conversation to have with Austin. That's for sure. It's a good movie. And we'll get back to Van Sant, by the way. We'll do some more Gus Van Sant movies, or movie, I should say. I think there's only one left. But we have to take a little bit of a break from that for a couple reasons. One of them being, actually, this is episode 199, believe it or not. 199. That makes next episode, episode 200. Now, I know for episode 100, we had a big blowout at Yonkers Brewery. It was super fun. I love live podcasting. However, we're still in the pandemic. I know I mentioned it. People aren't really doing live events. The ones who are are very fancy and they're social distancing them and whatever. If you can get it done, you can get it done. But I don't have the capacity or the manpower. And I don't know if there's that interest right now from everyone I know to really congregate like that. So we're not going to do anything like that. We're going to have a little cute, small, special episode. We're not covering a movie, but I'm going to talk a little bit. Might have a guest or two. Who knows? I'll take care of it this weekend. Don't worry. I'm going to give you an update on Cousin Pumpkin's tattoo. So you definitely want to hear that. Because yes, I remembered it. And yes, the wheels are moving there. So no trailer, no homework for Monday, but we will have a Monday episode. And it'll be our little teeny tiny 200th episode. So we'll celebrate together social distancingly, if that's a word. (laughs) So remember, guys, life and podcasting, they both move pretty fast. If you don't stop, look around once in a while, you could miss it. Hey, that's what we'll do Monday in our 200th episode. (laughs) Let me leave you with a song from this soundtrack. Austin actually brought it up. It's called We Will Revolt by the Revolts. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.